Good morning to everybody. Welcome back to the program. Scott Caldwell with you once again, talking with John Canarella from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. John, how are you doing today? I am great. How are you? I am doing phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about your background, kind of where you came from and what you do now. Well, um, I spent most of my life in Indiana, and uh, as a kid, I always spent a lot of time outdoors, playing in the creek and uh, fishing and hunting and catching bugs and catching snakes <laughs> and frogs and toads and everything else that a young boy and uh, that you know likes to spend his, a lot of time outdoors does. And uh, as I grew up and got older, I uh, realized that I wanted to have a, a job that had something to do with wildlife right. and that uh, was something that I really would love to mm-hmm. do and uh, could get paid for it. Nice. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, when, as a, a DNR officer, as a conservation officer, you're part of the law enforcement industry, right, in the community. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Indiana conservation officers are full-fledged law enforcement officers in the state of Indiana. We're statutorily a police officer, so we can enforce any state law um, that any other police officer can enforce. Um, Plus, we also focus a lot of our enforcement efforts on natural resource-related crimes and boating, parks, that type of thing. So pretty much where the pavement stops, um, that's where our job starts. And uh, so it's a a full-fledged law enforcement officer. We work with the county sheriffs. We work with the state troopers. We work with the city police. We work with a lot of our federal partners. So we do... We're kind of like the Swiss Army knife of law enforcement. We, we kind of do a lot of different duties and wear a lot mm-hmm. of different hats um, within the law enforcement community. So I know that years ago I looked at becoming a conservation officer and kind of started that process. But for me, it was the swimming part that was going to get me because that's just, I don't <laughs> in there. Uh, but talk to us real quickly about what it is as far as the training that you have to go through. Yeah. for that because it's you talk about being law enforcement but you've got a lot more going on than some of them do at times right yeah the the, the law enforcement side of the conservation officer's job is probably the most dangerous part of the job and therefore because of we work by ourselves we're in rural areas a lot of the times we are uh, contacting people who are armed and we don't have backup that's you know seconds or minutes away <laughs> and yeah. so therefore um, you know, the physicality of the job is important. You don't have to be super strong. They just want you to be able to uh, handle yourself in a stressful situation. So one of the things that we look for is people who can handle what we call stress inoculation, where we put them in situations in the mm-hmm. training environment to see how they respond, because you really don't know how you're going to respond to a situation um, until you put into it. Right. And so Absolutely. the law enforcement division has a long history of being very adapt at establishing a safe training environment to where we can evaluate the candidates to see how they respond. And as you said, one of the, to my surprise, I've been not, uh, you know, specifically involved in the training, but I've participated in the training over the years. I've been on 31 years. So I've been to a few of our (laughs) recruit training uh, schools and the swimming side seems to impact a lot of people, a lot of people who you think, you know, oh, I can swim, I can swim well, and they, and they go through the swimming uh, test and they, they fail. And it <laughs> seems to be more common oh. than not. But uh, 
Yeah, it's definitely a, a rigorous training program to become a conservation officer in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of the ag jobs in the United States, the agricultural and natural resources related, there's a, a shortage of people, especially qualified people, to do that. How are you, how is the industry set as far as employment needs? Is there a lot out there? What's that look like for somebody who's interested in this? If you, if you are a young person or an old, older person even uh, that is interested in a career in conservation law enforcement, the, there's a lot of opportunities. Um, when I applied in 1990 and 1992 to become an Indiana conservation officer, I also applied to be an Illinois conservation officer in 1992. Mm. And if I recall, I think there were 1,600 people who took the initial battery of tests to become an Indiana conservation officer, wow. and there were 10 vacancies in the oh state. Oh, my goodness. And so... Through attrition of the hiring process, the background investigation, the board interview, all the psychological exams, the physical mm -hmm. tests, everything, they whittled that down to about 40 people. And then through the training school, which was more kind of a paramilitary boot camp style <laughs> training, um, they whittled, we graduated 17. Wow. And so, and out of those 17, only 12 of us had jobs. The other five had to be put on a waiting list and had to wait months um, yeah. to, to get the job. So, but that's not the case now. Mm -hmm. That was 30 years ago. Right. Today, um, we have more like two or 300 people applying for 10 or 15 jobs. So hmm. as far as the ratio goes, if you are, have a good background, you're a good person, um, you have a good reputation in amongst your, you know, jobs you've had in the past mm -hmm. and your, your community, and you have an interest in law enforcement first, right. secondarily natural resources, um, you have an excellent opportunity or chance to become a conservation officer. Interesting. All right, we're going to take a quick break and get a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about some of the hunting things that are going on, seasons, laws, and uh, safety issues. Are you issues. receiving we'll the right correct back. cash rent? Is there improvements that could be made to increase your return from your farmland investment? Take advantage of the current strong ag economy and let us help you evaluate your farming operation and maximize your investments. At Halderman Real Estate and Farm Management, we bring over 90 years of experience and knowledge to the table. We listen and can understand your farming goals. We offer advice, recommendations, solutions, and create a plan on how we can help you meet your needs and goals. Take advantage of the current strong ag economy. Contact Chris or Lauren Peacock or Craig Springmeyer and let us help you evaluate your farming operation and maximize your investment. Experience, knowledge, and professionalism. Contact Halderman today at Halderman.com. All right, Scott Caldwell back again with John Canarella, with conservation officer with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. John, there's a lot of hunting that goes on all year round. And what are some of the things that are in season right now or we're going to see coming up in the next weeks and months in there? Well, the fall is typically um, our biggest time of the year for hunting in Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, there are animals that are in season year round. Right. Um, some are in season in the spring, some are in the spr spring and fall, some are throughout the summer. But for the most part, the fall is the big hunting season in Indiana. So right now is deer season in Indiana. Uh, generally, in, starting the 1st of October, uh, we have our archery season that comes in. And that runs all the way to about the 7th of January, if I'm not okay. mistaken. 
And so right now we have deer archery, which our deer season or deer hunting is the largest group of hunters and hunting in Indiana because uh, we have a pretty good deer population in Indiana. And the uh, this Saturday um, is the opening day of muzzleloader season, okay. which coincides with the archery season. So that allows hunters to go out with a traditional firearm. Mm-hmm. It's a single shot muzzleloaded firearm, and they have the opportunity to kind of step back in time, so to speak, even though some of the muzzleloaders are quite uh, sophisticated, but they're still a basic one shot. So right. you only get one shot. So. Yep. And uh, but we had that, and we also have a lot of our small game seasons are in. Um, we have uh, trappings in for you know mink and muskrat, weasel. Um, we have a river otter season that's you know really? in, mo- in several of the counties in the state, and uh, it's just uh, you know we have a the fall archery turkey season comes back in on this Saturday along with the muzzleloader season. So, and also um, which is this type of hunting is getting more popular. Uh, is the waterfowl hunting so your mm. your ducks and, and uh, goose hunters right. are out there in, in full force and uh, a lot of those opportunities are not just limited to you know the rivers and the mm-hmm. streams and the the lakes but also to the fields uh, a lot of the geese that work the uh, you know the the woods and fields of Indiana uh, mm-hmm. are out in the fields uh, the the grains have been harvested and there's a lot of opportunities for field hunters too, both for ducks and, and for geese. Okay. So in your experience, when people are out hunting, we'll get to safety in a minute, but what are some of the key, I guess, legal issues that people tend to maybe not necessarily purposely forget about, but sometimes accidentally forget about or aren't really aware of? Yeah. What's, what really gets people? I think uh, there, there's, there's, there's a few that... Uh, seem to reoccur uh, one of them in yep. indiana uh, when you when you harvest a deer mm-hmm. uh, you have to have a paper tag for that deer once you once you harvest the deer once you kill it you have to write down your name and address and the, okay. the day month and year that you you killed the deer and mm-hmm. the county and everything and what it is and that tag if if you're not it either has to be on you or if you're not with the deer it needs to be attached to the deer and that's just that's just a accountability mm-hmm. Um, for uh, you know who who killed the deer, right. and then another thing that we see a lot of is just not getting permission to to hunt on private mm-hmm. ground, or maybe you got permission from the landowner twelve years ago, and you've not followed up every year to make sure you right. still have permission, and things change, and you know landowners change, leases change, you know people come and go, and a lot of times we find situations where somebody said, well, I had you know I got permission. Mm-hmm. But they don't have permission currently, right. and uh, so we we get called on that quite a bit. And then third, probably in the electronic age, a lot of people have their hunting license or their fishing license in an electronic version, or they think, well, I can just jump on the DNR website and I'll pull up my license and I can show it to the officer. And and by law, you either have to have a paper copy of your hunting license or you have to have an electronic copy. But mm-hmm. what we run into is a lot of times people are in areas where they don't have cell coverage <laughs> and they're trying to pull their license up. And they and, can't and quite they, prove they can't, it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we, we have ways yeah. to follow up on it, but it just makes it a lot smoother and easier mm-hmm. if they have a, either a paper copy or a screenshot of an electronic copy of that license mm-hmm. and they can provide that to the officer when we check them. So. so you talk about being on private property without permission. I know, I remember growing up, we had woods on our property that nobody was allowed to hunt on, mm-hmm. but we walked out there a couple of times and saw deer stands mm-hmm. up in the trees. Yeah. As a private owner, what is your legal right 
when somebody's on your property illegally. Yeah, what, that's what, a, or what's the what should they do and how yeah, should they handle it? I think that's a better <laughs> question. What should they do right. versus what the right is? I mean, yeah. technically, anything on your property, if you're the landowner, is is yours. Mm-hmm. However, you know. There's misunderstandings with neighbors and landowners and friends of neighbors, and you know you don't want to be that landowner who right. you know is the the jerk or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think the best thing to do is try and um, diplomatic as you can find out who it is, and if mm-hmm. you can't find out who it is, uh, contact uh, you know a conservation officer to, to work with you because that's one thing mm-hmm. one of the things that we do as conservation officers in the community is we work with landowners okay. to try and. Um, alleviate problems before they get big. You know, we don't want the screaming match, you right. know, opening morning of deer gun season. You know, with with the person who has a gun, maybe the landowner has a gun, that type of thing. So, but uh, typically, if you ask around, you can you can find out who it is. And if you can't, um, that's where we can step in and hopefully help help the landowner to determine who it is. And then it's up to the landowner what they want done. Okay, we don't every time we get called by a landowner, it doesn't mean somebody's going to jail or somebody's right. going to get a ticket. We listen to what the landowner wants. And if mm-hmm. the landowner's like, no, nah, I really don't think, you know, I want you to take enforcement action, then, you know, we we oblige them on that. But if they say, no, I think this guy needs to learn his lesson, then, you know, we, we do what we have to do. Okay. So really, for those who are out hunting or those whose property on there, the biggest thing probably it, I'm thinking is that if you have any questions, contact the local conservation officer before anything else ask the questions find out the answers before you start assuming the answers is that right absolutely that's that's great advice to give to to anybody to you know before you jump to conclusions i know a lot of times we have a tendency to want to take care of things ourselves but that's really what we're out there for is to you know be a liaison between the you know the landowners mm-hmm. and the sportsmen or or the criminals you know yep. i mean we you know we again we we have we we we're, we we are trained and we have the experience to to handle those situations in a professional and fair manner, and that's you know that's what we do. Well, speaking of advice, let's jump back into just your life in general. And before, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody at the end of my program. Right. What's something you wish you had known when you were younger? Um. That is a great question. I, I think that as a law enforcement officer, the more time you get to see how things work and how things operate and how you know people make mistakes is uh, I think when I was younger I probably wish I would have given people the benefit of the doubt more often than I did I was I was probably you know a little bit insecure about myself when I was Mm -hmm. a a new officer and uh, I didn't always probably ask all the right questions to fully determine what was going on but uh, as I matured in 31 years being a, a professional law enforcement officer I have learned that um, ask questions listen and uh, when you can give people the benefit of the doubt nothing wrong with a pause right right exactly awesome well John thank you so much for being with us today uh, this has been Scott Caldwell talked with John Canarella from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources and you'll get to hear about his story and the stories of hunting and safety and the legal issues for that. Hopefully that was useful for everybody. Um, but take time this week to make sure you tell your story and agriculture story because they deserve to be heard. Have a great week.